So, the reason why he wrote Hebrews is because our theology will always, will always uh, give us our philosophy, and our philosophy always dictates what we do, your methodology. Did y'all get that? I would say your theology, what you view, your view of God will always dictate your, your philosophy, whether that's in life, and then your life always dictates on what you do. And so there had to be a high level of confidence for the Hebrew people. Why? Because they were about to endure, or, and they were starting to endure persecution. You know, the, the Jewish people always found a way, even though they didn't like it, they always found a way to work with oppression. You know, in this time it was Roman oppression, Greek oppression, that they have, and, and, and their, their culture was being bombarded, but they always had a, found a way to do it. And it may not have been pure, it may have been corrupt, but they've always found a way, and we know that by how Jesus was died on the, a Roman cross. You know, that was not a Roman idea, that was actually a Jewish idea, and they concocted a plan in conjunction with the Romans. And so, but they always found a way. But here, when Jesus came into the scene, Jesus says, I did not come to bring peace, but I come to bring a sword. And what a sword does at times, it draws a line in the sand about what is actually right and what is actually wrong. And culture may not always go along with it, and it may not always go along with other cultures that you're trying to live in conjunction with. Does that make sense? So Jesus changed everything. And so they had to have a confident theology and a confident philosophy and a confidence in their methodology if they were going to endure the persecution. Same with us. We're going to have to have a confidence, a level of confidence in God if we're going to endure the trials that is set before us. And so they were enduring this persecution at this time. And so the writer of Hebrews was making the case or building the case that Jesus is God and Jesus is above all angels. And then we're going to see him, he's going to compare him to the priest. And then you're going to compare him to prophets. Why? Because they had a clear understanding or a rich understanding of what those were in Jewish life at the time. You know, when I was in high school, I was a Centerville Tiger. We, I went to a Centerville Academy in Mississippi, and I played football. You know, I was, like on, I was like not on the A team or the B team. I was like on the Z team, you know. I mean, I was like I barely got in at that time. You know, I was the dummy at practice on, you know, on, the, on the practice squad that they said, they told the A-teams, like, hey, you see that dude out there? Go knock him on his tail. I was that dude, all right? And, um, and, and so, but I, I did identify myself as a centerable tiger. You know, I, I, I did identify myself, and then I, I endured the, the practices and everything else. But it wasn't enough for me just to say I was a centerable tiger. I had to go to prepare myself you know, for the field for Friday nights. And, our, the, and my teammates, they had to prepare themselves for the field on Friday nights. And so I think sometimes how what we're going to go over tonight is like, it's so easy for, especially in our culture, to profess Christ, but it's, yet sometimes it's so hard to practice it, to live it out to put our faith in motion. And that's, but that's where, when we practice it on a day-to-day -day basis, that's where we're going to get our confidence. 
You know, but the more the more trials we endure and the more times we see Jesus overcome in those trials, the more faith that we're going to have and the more confidence we're going to have in God for the next trials that, that we face. And so we're going to move on in, into chapter 2. And the, the, the biggest picture I want us to get tonight is that, is that the writer of Hebrews is going to make the, move the comparison from angels to a priest. He, he starts off comparing it to the angels in that first part of that passage, as we just heard on the video. But then towards the end of that passage, he starts the comparison as using, uh, comparing Jesus as a priest. And they understood at that moment in time what the role of the priesthood is, and that was to make intercession for the sins of the people. So we, there, there was understanding there. But what made it not a perfect system was is that the priest himself had to make intercession for his own sin because he was a human. So the, the actual practice that God put in place initially with the priest you know, and if y'all don't know anything or know too much Old Testament, I, want, I don't want to make any assumptions that everybody knows, you know, what happened. What, is it was that when God put in place the sacrificial system, the priest would go and slaughter an animal and use the blood as to make an atonement. Now, granted, that was nothing more than a foreshadowing of what was to come in the work of Jesus Christ. But... Until that time period or whatever, that's what they did. They sacrificed uh, a lamb and, and they sacrificed a bull. They had all these sacrifices that God put in place. It was a temporary solution for what God was going to eventually do through the work of Christ. And so they, they knew all too well. But Jesus will become the high priest, the highest of, of any priest that ever was. Why? Because what he did on the cross was sufficient enough that it is demolish the sacrificial system that they were used to. And so he's going to make that comparison from the angels um, to the priests. And look at verse 7. It says, you, were made, you made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection in him, he left nothing outside of control. Remember last week we talked about it. If, if he is on his throne, he's in control, right? He never, even though he, he, know, he endured hardships and, and then he endured the cross, he was never out of control in that moment of time. That's one thing we got to remember as believers. It says, verse 9, If you see him for a little while, he was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned him with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he may taste death for everyone. And so, in that thought that Jesus at one time had, was even though he was supreme over the angels, and he had power over the angels, for a short period of time, he became lower than the angels to be able to become like us, so that we did can become like him. And, and how do we know that he became lower than the angels? Which is, you know, this is it's a, a mind-blowing thought, but at the same time, angels were, remember, they were ministering agents. They were created by God to minister to the people of God, but yet the angels themselves ministered to Jesus in Matthew 4 when he was in the wilderness. And so he gave up his position over the angels to become like us, 
And so that eventually we can go become like him. So he was a prophet, you know, being the truth barrier of God. And we'll talk about more in weeks to come as we compare him to Moses and to Abraham and the other prophets as well. But his priestly role was sufficient for all humanity, for all the time. He also intercedes for us now at the church. Even though he sits at the right hand of God, one of his roles is he's making intercession for the church for the time being. In Hebrews 5, 6, and I, know, I don't know if we had that up there, but basically it, it talks about his priestly role. We'll talk about this when we get to Hebrews 5, but he was in the order of Melchizedek. And if you can understand that, y'all come talk to me, because Melchizedek was in the, showed up in, in Genesis in, in with Abraham, and he was a priest, but nobody knows his origins. They don't know where he came from. And it could have been Jesus himself. We don't know, but we know that he was a divine being, that was serving as a priest at the time. And so Jesus it said that in, in Hebrews 5 that he became a, a lineage of this particular person, Melchizedek. So we know that he's a prophet, he's a priest, but he humbled himself to become lower than the angels. Look at Philippians 2. To become this priest, he humbled himself. He says, who, in verse 6 through 8, he says, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born into the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So guys, here's, here's what I want you to get out of this. His, his role and his, his, what he did, his action, was an action of choice. Is that he became, he humbled himself. He humbled himself. Nobody did it for him. And so that's what makes, you know, God being the ultimate priest to the, to the point where he humbled himself and so that he become the propitiation is what he talks about in the end of this chapter. Look at verse 17. Of chapter 2 of Hebrews. So therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, and so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation, basically being the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So what do we do with this rich the theology that we get out of this passage? Because we had to understand that, that he was a, the humbling servant who died on the cross for our sins. That he became like us so that we become like the, him. What do, we, what do we do with this? It gives us the confidence to be able to endure the hardships knowing that he endured the hardships. And so my, I guess my challenge for us tonight is that, is that it's easy to recognize Jesus as God figuratively, but sometimes we have a hard time recognizing him in practice. I mean, I'm just being honest with you guys. You know, I, 
you know, I grew up in church. I mean, I, I, you know, the whole joke of saying I had a drug problem because my parents drugged me to church every time the door is open. Now, y'all have heard that one before. I had that problem. You know, my dad basically had keys to the church, so he was there before anybody else and opened up. He had to make the coffee for all the, you know, the guys who would gather around in the fellowship hall before church and drink coffee and pray before the service. I was there every time. I was in the, you know, grew up in the deep south where, you know, church was a norm. It was not abnormal for most folks to go to church at that time. But at the same time, I don't have no problem acknowledging with my mouth, but sometimes I have a problem acknowledging in practice. Because I deal with the flesh I and mean, I deal, you know, with the culture and the conforming in, in, into this world and everything. I, we have the same, the, the same struggles. We all in here can admit that to a certain degree. I think that's one thing we have in common. And so there's a difference between orthodoxy that we get in the teachings of the word and orthopraxy in what we put in, in, the, in the practice. You know, going back to the fact that I just gave an illustration about my high school football team, I couldn't, I can always go around and say I'm a centerable tiger, I'm a centerable tiger, but until you saw me out there practicing it and putting it into, into play, you wouldn't believe me. And so I think that disconnect sometimes happens between the acknowledgement and yet the, 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 the living it out on a day-to-day basis. But it's so important that we put it into practice because just like them, they had to have a level of confidence in their belief in Jesus and how they lived out if they were going to endure the hardships of life. And guys, let me tell you something. I just per- I'm not in a gloom and doom kind of guy. I'm a pretty positive guy. If you know me pretty well, I have to be in a, like, in a bad place in life where I get really gloomy because I, I, I joke a lot. I laugh a lot. And, I, and I, my jokes are corny. But I'm a 42-year-old dad, so give me a little bit of break, all right? But I'm not a gloom and doom kind of person, but at the same time, I can kind of look around and see what's happening in our world. It is not going to become easier to be a Christian. I'm just going give to you, give you that. And, like, I believe that. And even though I'm not a pessimistic kind of guy, I know it's going to be harder and harder to live out our faith if we're going to continue in our walk and journey with Christ. And so why is it important to put it into practice? I want to give you three things that, this, that I think we could take out of this passage, but also I'm going to emphasize it with other passages tonight. First of all, I believe it's important to put it into practice because, one, practice makes permanent. Has anybody ever heard that before? Practice makes permanent. You know, I mean, if you practice for anything, repetition, you know, whether any kind of sport or whether it's any kind of, like, I'm a musician, you know, so I don't practice too much anymore like I should, but I just remember sitting in my bedroom going over scale after scale after scale and, and, you know, and, and working on those things and creating that muscle memory. And so when we do those things, it becomes our second nature, It makes permanent. So when we practice our faith, when we come to the moment in time or the event where there's any kind of, let's say, um, enduring something, 
it becomes natural for us to be able to endure that because of our faith, because we're putting it into practice on a day-to-day basis. What does that look like? Well, it could look like a lot of things. It could look like going to the God's Word every day. It could be maybe abstaining from things or staying away from things that, that hinder us from our walk with Christ. It's being sensitive um, to the things around you and people around you and being, being able to sh- display love because you've been loved by Christ. It's th- all those things. It encompasses all those things. But it's putting those things in motion that gives us the ability to continue in the faith. Doing it over and over and over again. There's a guy back there named Tyler Parker. If you don't know Tyler Parker, I wish you could know Tyler Parker. He's an awesome guy. He, one reason he's awesome just because he's just a, he, he walks with Christ and has a desire to walk with Christ. But the second reason why is because he goes to Mississippi State, you know, his grad work. And, um, but Tyler Parker and I have a mutual friend, and, and, and this guy came and talked to our leadership not too long ago. His name is Butch Simmons. Butch Simmons is 73 years old, and he's, and guys, I don't know, he's just a, just a, to me, he's just a, a guy that I just look up to in the, in the faith. And it doesn't matter in the Bible, where in the Bible that you can open up. You can open up to Ezekiel 23, and you can just read a verse out of that and without even telling me where it is and, and what verse, and he can tell you exactly what verse it is. He's been studying God's Word for 40 years, over 40 years, because he does it. And even though he knows it from front to cover, he still gets up every morning at probably 5, 5.30, and starts to study in God's Word. And he, yet, he's been able to endure the most hardest of times, to even point to the, even to the point where he almost died. Last time I saw him, before this, this previous time, he was on a ventilator. They brought us all in because they didn't think he was going to make it. And yet, he came back, and his, his idea of him, the reason why God spared him, because he still had work to do and to share the gospel and the disciple young men. And that's all he does. You can ask Tyler from, you know, from breakfast all the way to lunch every day. That's what he does. But we put it into practice. It makes permanent. John 15, 5, 4 and 5, it says, abide in me. Put in practice, you know, abiding in Christ, doing the things of Christ is, a, is, is putting it into practice. And I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. It's just like the more Jesus we take in, the more Jesus we end up exposing to the world. It's like it, 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 it's exuberating. It just, it, it just comes out of you. So putting into practice. The permanent conviction that goes with abiding the permanent things that, that when we start being tempted by something, we, yet we feel conviction or we have a, a passion to share Christ in our life. We develop that conviction through the practice of the faith. Number two is this, that practice makes progress. I love what Paul says in Philippians 1.6. He says, he who began a good work in you is able to complete it to the end. We can have confidence in that. And that he's doing a work in us, that he's given us the role of the Holy Spirit, he's given us the church, he's given us the word of God. And that when those, all those things come together, you start seeing the fruit that, bear, that comes from it. 
In Philippians 2.12, it says, Therefore, my beloved, this is Paul speaking, he says, As you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's not saying work for your salvation. It's saying work it out. That means, you know, if you was to go to the Lambright and grab you some weights and chunk it on there on the bar and you start lifting and everything, you're working those muscles. Why? Because you want to tear them down to build them up. And so that's the same way, the same language that Paul is using to work it out, work out, put it into practice. Why? Because you're going to see a progressive. How, do many, how many of you know somebody that, that's, that's mature in the faith that you know they walk with God? They're kind of a pioneer of the faith in, in your eyes. How many, it could be a grandma, it could be a parent. It could be somebody, you know, a youth pastor or a teacher or something like that. But you know by the way they carry themselves, by the way they, they talk, and by the way they act, that person's walking with God. You know that for a fact. Well, guys, that didn't happen overnight. That was from a continuing walk with Christ. That confidence was built up because they continued to devote themselves to the faith. In 2 Peter 3.18, it says, But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. And number three is this. Practice is evidence. When you practice something or if you put in the, into action something, it's evident who you are. Guys, when, you know, I've had a couple surgeries, and so I've had, you know, doctors that performed this surgery, and, you know, I'm so glad that I knew who my doctor was because he came in in, in scrubs. He came in with a, you know, how you say it, a thethoscope on there around his neck, you know. Got a speech impediment. Or, uh, I can't say that. But I knew who exactly what it was, and guess what? I had confidence in him because he'd been practicing medicine, you know, for years. You know, I would have been a little bit nervous if he came in and said, Hey, Justin, you know, we're going to repair this hernia here, and don't worry. Even though I've never done one before, I watched it on YouTube, and I think I can get it. I would have no confidence whatsoever in that doctor. But because he'd been putting into practice his, his skill, and because he's had a lot of successes through the years, and he had a good reputation, I had a lot of faith in him. Same way with us. If we're going to shine the light of Christ, as Paul says in Philippians, you shine like stars, then when we're putting our faith into practice each and every day, it's going to become more evident that we're walking with Jesus. And so practicing is evidence. Guys, uh, as the band's going to come up, and like I said, we're, it's kind of doing something a little different tonight. Why Hebrews? The way we can answer why Hebrews is because we can say, why Jesus? You know, Hebrews gives us a clear explanation 
and that he has the power of the angels, but yet doing the work of the priest to be able to accomplish something that we can never accomplish on our own is to be able to stand in front of a holy God. He did that for us. He made it that we're able to stand in front of a holy God. Guys, we're going to see in Hebrews 9, the 27, that is it appointed for man to die once, and then we're going to face judgment. Guess what? I have the confidence that I can uh, have that appointment because of my faith in Jesus. So guys, I want to ask you on a personal basis, do you have that confidence? And the cool thing is, if you don't have that confidence, he can give you that confidence in a moment's time just by you yielding your spirit to the gospel message, and that is that Christ came, he died, and he rose, and that he loves you. And so throughout these last three songs, I, I kind of want us to start this, this next song set as being more contemplative. And so it's either you're going to respond in one of two ways. You're either going to thank him for the grace that he has given you, or you're going to desire and need the grace that you need from him. So I don't know what that looks like to you, but I just know that anytime we, in, you know, when we open up the Word of God, we always have to evaluate ourselves in light of Scripture and what God says about us and what He says about Himself. But I don't know about y'all, but I speak Jesus. There's nothing that Justin Shipley could ever do or not do that will measure up in the work of what Jesus done and all he wants us to do is to accept him and to abide in, in him let me pray then we'll continue to sing dear Lord thank you so much for the, your word Lord I just pray as we sing these last songs Lord that you will move upon our hearts and how you would want us to respond Lord, that you would give us the faith that we need to continue to have faith in you. And you would give us the means by, through the Holy Spirit, that we could continue to walk with you. And Lord, that we would yield our spirit to yours. And God, and put in action what you have entrusted us with through salvation. So Lord, I pray if there's one here tonight that's never put their faith and trust in you, God, that you would just move upon their heart. And God, they would yield and just give their life to you. So God, thank you so much for loving us. And I just pray that this time, moment, time as we worship, God, that it just would be a sweet, sweet savor. And God, that we would celebrate the person of Jesus. And that he may be glorified in Christ's name. Amen.